I read about James Calvert. It was him and John Hunt in 1838 that were commissioned to go preach to the uh, natives on the Fiji Islands. And uh, it was during this time that the Fiji chiefs uh, regarded missionaries as a great threat to their authority. I've experienced that same thing uh, in Africa. We ought to be a great threat to the authority of the devil. Can you say amen? Praise God. Uh, James Calvert said this. He said, where Christ commands and directs, I cheerfully go. I only desire what he approves and to go where he requires for the remainder of my life. I've mentioned David Brainerd already. William Carey, when I was reading about William Carey, he was inspired by David Brainerd. David Brainerd was 29 years old when he died. He died on October the 9th, 1747. And he was, uh, he was an American missionary before there was an America. Uh, he was uh, a great man of God that was completely dedicated and sold out to win the Native Americans. And he had great results with the Delaware Indians in uh, what is now New Jersey. This is what David Brainerd said. He said, when a soul loves God with a supreme love, God's interest in his become one. No matter when, where, or how Christ should send me, nor what trials he should exercise me with, if I may be prepared for his work and his will. David Brainerd also said, it is so sweet to be nothing and less than nothing, that Christ may be all in all. Woo! Praise God. I, 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 I read through these stories, and I, I want to get it just like that. That's the way I want it. I want to get it just like that. A deep, real Christianity. A dedication and a consecration that the world cannot talk me out of that the devil cannot steal away from me. Praise God. Hallelujah. John G. Patton, he was told that if he went into the South Pacific Islands, he would be eaten by cannibals. Uh, those of you that have read the, the history of that time in the South Pacific, there was a lot of cannibalistic tribes. We, we call them headhunters in our generation. They were cannibals. They literally would fight with one another, neighboring tribes, and they would uh, eat one another. And they told John G. Patton, man, if you go to the South Pacific to preach to them heathen people, they're going to eat you. You know what he said to the guy who told him that? He said, you are advanced in years and will soon be laid in the grave to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I live and die serving and honoring God, it makes no difference whether my body is eaten by cannibals or by worms. Woo! Praise God. Is that the kind you've got? Is that the kind you got? That's the kind I want. I'm after that kind. Praise God. I'm after that kind. David Livingston is one of my favorites because David Livingston worked in Africa 
When people talk about missions in Africa, David Livingston's name always comes up in the conversation, it seems like. He was not the first missionary to Africa. As a matter of fact, his father-in-law, Robert Moffat, uh, was in Africa before David Livingston. David Livingston married Moffat's daughter, and he, he went to Africa, but it was, it was the heart of David Livingston was to map a great portion of the continent while evangelizing and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I read the story that said that uh, those natives that worked together with him there, I know there was a time in his life where uh, he had slaves, and you can read about that. Uh, he never mistreated those people, and that, that's a different subject for a different time. But David Livingston was so loved by the natives that were working with him that when he died, they cut out his heart and buried it in Africa. And they packed his body in salt. And they carried him for two months to get him to the coast so a ship could pick up his body to take it back to Europe where his family could bury him. When, he got, when his body arrived in Europe, it, it was recognized only by a doctor who had previously treated him from a lion attack in Africa. And he, he verified the scars on Livingston's body and said that was him. I'd say them people loved him to pack him in salt and towed him for two months to the coast. David Livingston was found on his knees by his bedside. That's how he died, down on his knees by his bedside. Listen to what he wrote in his journal just before he died. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. That's what I'm after. That's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. We're living in a dangerous, dangerous, perilous time. All of this happening, China, Afghanistan, Russia. I'm not a prophecy guy, but I, I, you know, I believe the Lord is soon to come. And whatever we're going to do for God, we better get busy doing it right now. It ain't enough to just come to church on Sunday. I hope this is all right. I, I, I'm going to preach here in just a minute. It's not enough just to be faithful in tithing. It's not enough just to be faithful to Sunday school and, and get your year Bible award uh, attendance. And It's not enough. We must dedicate all that we are to Jesus Christ and His work. Everything that we are. With that in mind, I want you to turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. If the Lord would help me, I'd like to talk to us for just a few moments here. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. And uh, I've already told Brother Woods that the Bible said God made the greater light to shine by the day. 
And so you'll get the, you'll get the great light in the morning services. And I'm just going to, I'm going to slap at it here and try to do my best, but I'm going to share with you what God's been dealing with me about. Numbers chapter 6, this very familiar for the Bible reader, we'll begin with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die. Because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him for that he sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. I know this is an Old Testament law or a vow concerning the Nazarite, but I believe that we can glean some New Testament truth from it. Did you notice how many times that uh, the Bible used the word here in these 12 verses? He talked about separate themselves. Separate himself. All the days of his separation. Uh, of the vow of his separation, which he separateth himself unto the Lord. Separate, separate, separate. And then he used the word consecration. The consecration of his God is upon his head. I want to talk to you about a consecrated life. A consecrated life. If the Lord would help me here, would you lift your hands and pray? Ask the Holy Ghost to help us here tonight. Father, I love you. I thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you, God, for your compassion, all you've done for us. 
way you've helped us, God, the way you've moved for us here. God, I pray that you would talk to us, Lord. Church said amen. Turn around, smile at somebody, and show them holiness folks can, or give them $20, one or the other. Praise God. A lot of smiling going on. Praise God. Uh, these, uh, Brother Woods and Brother Prescott, maybe some of you other Bible scholars could help me out after the service is over. I, I've When I begin to look about the uh, the Nazarite, I, I, uh, of course, I saw Samson in the book of Judges, chapter 13. Uh, it was the angel of the Lord that told uh, uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God. And he gave her the, this list that we see in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, about abstaining from the fruit of the vine abstaining from wine and strong drink and grapes and raisins and staying out of the vineyards and staying away from dead things. But I saw, I saw it again, just a glimpse of it maybe in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 when Hannah is in the temple praying, asking God, or in the tabernacle praying, asking God uh, to give her a little baby boy. Her prayer is very specific. You'll remember the priest thought she was drunk because her lips moved, but he couldn't hear her saying anything. I thought about that before. Uh, she didn't have a whole lot of words, but she had a whole lot of heart in that prayer. Praise God. But uh, it was Hannah's promise to the Lord that if you'll give me a little boy, I'll give him back to you, God, and I promise no razor shall come upon his head. I don't know if Samuel was a Nazarite or not, but I saw a little glimpse of it there. Now, I saw another glimpse of it in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, Zechariah is in the temple. He's doing his ministry. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. They're an old couple. They've not had any children. They want children, but they seem like it's impossible for them. And that's when the angel showed up. And he gave Zechariah a promise. Elizabeth's going to have a little boy, and you're going to name him John. Hallelujah. Amen. Zechariah's unbelief caused him to be dumb uh, for the next nine months. He couldn't speak, and it must have been a sight when he come out of that temple, mm, 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 mumbling, trying to get somebody's attention and tell them what happened. Amen. Uh, but it was in that experience in Luke chapter 1 that the angel told Zechariah that the boy can't drink wine or strong drink. Hallelujah. I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a glimpse of the Nazarite uh, there in the New Testament. And then again in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 21, I see
see the Apostle Paul along with four brethren in one of those scriptures where they are trying to get to Jerusalem. And I don't know what type of vow they were under. Luke didn't tell us. But whatever it was, when the vow was over, they had to shave their head. And so I don't know, you know, my mind wonders if the Apostle Paul, amen, was dedicated to that vow of a Nazarite during that certain period of time. I'm not sure. But I can tell you this. All of these men that I've mentioned tonight so far, they knew about the power of consecrated living. They knew about the power of separation and dedicating yourself and your uh, whole person unto God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I'm just a simple fella, and I wanted to get all the understanding that I could get, and so I wanted to get the definitions right. When I looked up the word consecrate, it means to make or declare something sacred, to dedicate to a religious or a divine purpose. And when I looked up that word Nazarite as used in the Hebrew in Numbers chapter 6, it literally means separated. It means set apart. It means consecrated to his service or sanctified. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's what I really want to zero in on tonight if the Lord would help me. Amen. I've, I've preached just a little while, not as long as some of these other brethren have, but I have preached long enough to understand that consecration cannot be forced upon anybody. Come on now. I have sanctified a whole lot of people through the years. Amen. I've talked them out of their necklaces right in the altar. I've helped them pull their finger rings off right in the altar. I've put them on the altar like a trophy case. Come on, say amen to me. Huh? I, 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 when I was a young man, I had so much zeal. Amen. But I had a zeal, but not very much wisdom and not very much knowledge. And some of them same people, after a year or two, I'd have to go right back around and pull them rings off of them again and take them necklaces off of them. Come on, say amen. It doesn't work that way. I've come to understand that, that consecration cannot be forced upon you. I cannot coerce you into consecrating your life unto God. The preacher cannot preach good enough to get you to consecrate your life to God. Consecration comes from desire. Amen. A desire for him. A desire to please him. A desire to honor him. A desire to bring him glory with the way you live your life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. It must begin with desire. But I ask myself, uh, Brother Dewey, where does this desire come from? Where does this desire come from? It has to come from time spent in prayer. Come on, say amen. We have a, I'm telling you folks, we're in a dangerous time. We're in a time when it's so easy to coast and to blend in and to mix in. 
It's easy to put on the uniform and go through the motions. It's easy to look right and dress right and show up at the right time and say hallelujah at the right time and jump and skip and shout at the right time. I'm telling you something. We're about to enter into a time if the Lord don't soon come. Amen. It's going to be a time of sifting and only the consecrated, only the dedicated are going to be able to make it through. Can you shout amen? Woo, hallelujah. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Amen. No pray, no stay. That's what Brother Don Rich said one time. No pray, no stay. That's pretty simple, ain't it? If you're going to make it from here to heaven, you're going to have to pray. Your flesh doesn't like to pray. Your carnal man doesn't like to pray. That old nature fights against prayer. But if we're going to have a desire to consecrate all that we are to God, we must spend time in prayer. Come on, say amen. 15 or 20 minutes is not enough. Rushing out, rushing to work, grab your cup of coffee. All you can do just is jump in the shower, rush your teeth, say a little prayer on the way down the road, dodging through traffic. That's not enough. You've got to have quality one-on-one time with God. You've got to learn to communicate with Him. You've got to love to fellow. You've got to learn to fellowship with the presence of God. Amen. And when you learn to do that, a desire will swell up on the inside of you to want to give Him everything that you are. Praise God. Praise God. Desire not only, amen, is developed in prayer, amen, but it comes from uh, the attraction of seeing somebody else spending their life in the service of God. Uh, My Church of God pastor, Brother Thurman Jenkins, everybody called him Henry Jenkins. Uh, He was such an inspiration to me. He taught me about holiness, Brother Prescott. He gave me a solid foundation there in Ashborough, the West Ashborough Church of God uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, he, he, I was already a member of another church of God in a different town that was a worldly church. And Brother Jenkins, uh, when we found that church, it's what our heart had been longing for. But he, he, even though I was already a member of the church of God, he wouldn't even transfer for my membership until we sat through his new members class. And he taught the declaration of faith and the statements of faith of the church of God. And he taught it the Bible way. Come on, say amen. And it took about two or three months to sit through that class before he'd ever even take us in the church. There's a whole bunch of us there. And Sister Tig and I sat through that class over and over and over. We must sit through it a year better. Over and over and over. And he taught us about the Trinity. And he taught us about water baptism. And he taught us about the Holy Ghost. And he taught us about the gifts of the Spirit. And he taught us about sanctification. He taught us about holiness and living a consecrated life. Come on and help me, somebody. Praise God. I'm glad. 
good for that. I watched him as he preached the gospel when the Holy Ghost didn't move on him and he'd shout and talk in tongues. I said to myself, I want it like he's got it. Praise God. That's the way I want it. Just like he's got it. Praise God. I watched him in the prayer closet. Amen. When the Holy Ghost had moved on him, I heard him many, many times. Amen. Get down to pray and start his prayer like this. Oh God, I thank you for who you are and whose I am. Praise God. Hallelujah. I said I want it just like that. Glory to God. Amen. Listen, you get hooked up with somebody that knows how to pray. Somebody knows how to fellowship God and you spend your time with that bunch. Praise God. Don't get sidetracked, hooked up with the wrong crowd. Amen. That's always gossiping, tail-bearing, backbiting, some folks can tell you everything the preacher does wrong, everything that's wrong in the church, what Sister Sally did, what Brother Joe done. Make a wide circle around that crowd. You get with the bunch that's going to the prayer room before service. Come on, say amen. You hang with the bunch that knows how to call out to God and let God help you to consecrate your life. Several things I saw here. I'm wondering in this generation if anybody sees a need to be consecrated. Well, our quickie sermon outlines in our www.sermonhelp.com all of these things, I wonder, amen, if there's anybody who really sees the need of a sold-out life. Oh, help me, Lord. Praise God. A lot of people seem to think there's a better way. They're starting to sanctify the things of the world to them instead of sanctifying themselves unto God. Come on, help me right here, somebody. Amen, but I want you to see several things here tonight before I get off on a tangent. I seen in Numbers chapter six, the first thing I saw, amen, this was voluntary. Did you hear what verse two said? When either a man or woman shall separate themselves, the Lord will not force consecration upon you. I have, I have, I've even said it when I was younger, and I have heard people say it over and over and over. Now listen, if you're here tonight and you're struggling with a habit, you're struggling with a weight or a besetting sin, you might as well quit saying, pray that the Lord will take this from me. He don't want it. He ain't gonna take it. Come on, say amen. You got to lay it down. You've got to consecrate. You've got to get willing to give it to him. Come on, say amen. Praise God. Amen. It's voluntary. Amen. It was for men or women. Praise God. Amen. Having saved us through the blood of the Lamb, washing us and cleansing us from sin's filthy stains. Amen. Don't you think we owe him everything? I cannot do too much for him. He cannot ask too much for me. I want to sign up. Praise God for this consecrated living. 
Lift your hands and praise the Lord, will you? Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Holy Ghost spoke through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. And he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you hear what he said? He said our reasonable service is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable. I was talking to a man one time. Y'all look so serious. I'm just screaming and hollering, ain't I? I talked to a man one time, Sister Prescott. He said, I, I want you to pray for me, Brother Teague. He said, I, I can't do much fasting. He said, I get terrible headaches. Why do you say that? Boy, I get terrible headaches too. When I fast, my flesh is screaming for another Hershey bar. Come on now. My flesh is screaming for another Pepsi, another glass of sweet tea. Huh? My flesh is screaming for something that I'm denying it of, I'm depriving it of. You're going to get headaches. Come on, say amen. Uh, I've seen people, I've seen people go about this in a kind of a nonchalant, half-hearted kind of a way. I come to preach to us here tonight. If you're going to serve God, it's all or nothing. Amen. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. He's looking for somebody to use in this generation, and I want to be one of them. I said I want to be one of them. Praise God. He wants to bless this generation and move in this generation. He wants to work miracles in this generation. He wants his bride to be a city set on a hill uh, that cannot be hid uh, and I want to be a part of it. Somebody praise the Lord. Somebody praise the Lord. Come on, shout hallelujah and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But it's got to be voluntary. It's got to be entire. All or nothing. It must be complete. Amen. This separation for the Nazarite was from all the fruit of the vine. Everything, the Bible said, from the kernel to the husk. Strong drink, you'll notice, is mentioned twice as if there was a double danger. Amen. Put a, 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 a double emphasis. Put on the, amen, things that alter your mood. Ruining your consecration. Come on now. You don't have to take happy pills to get through the day. Xanax and Zoloft. Come on, I know right where I'm at. I'm in a wholeness church. We've got wholeness people taking pills to get up, pills to go to bed. Come on and help me, somebody. Come on now. You don't need that with Jesus. He is our all in all. He is our joy. He is our contentment. He is our happiness. He is our peace, praise God. He is everything. Hallelujah. Praise God. This was a complete 
Separation from all the fruit of the vine, but also from the fashion of men. In verse 5, the Bible said, No razor shall come upon his head. Now, y'all straighten me out after church if I'm uh, half cocked or a little off on this. But I read in 1 Corinthians 11 chapter that God said it's a shame. Nature itself teaches us that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But with the, uh, I'm, I'm believing the God of the New Testament is the same God that was in Numbers chapter 6. So part of this Nazarite vow no grapes, no raisins, no grape juice, no wine, no vinegar, no liquor. And you can't cut your hair. That was part of the shame of that consecration. Everywhere that Old Testament Nazarite went, if he was under that vow long enough, people could look at him. He had a distinguishing mark that he bore. That's a Nazarite. Come on now. If you saw that long-haired man in the marketplace, now listen, I know what you're thinking. All these movies with Charlton Heston and all these uh, 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 middle, middle ages artists uh, that painted all these, everybody with all these men with long hair. I don't believe it's like that at all. Come on, say amen. Huh? Amen. God said it was a shame and it was a shameful thing even in the Old Testament, but it was used uh, as a distinguishing mark for that Nazarite. If he's in the market down by the well, it didn't matter if he's in the synagogue, wherever he was, you said there is a Nazarite. He's putting forth an effort to get close to God. Come on now. That's what the whole vow was designed by God to do. It was an act of mercy from God, an act of grace to put this vow in Numbers chapter 6 so a man or a woman with a hungry heart could go through a ritual and put forth their very best effort to get all of God that they could get. Praise God. It was for anybody. You didn't have to be a priest or the son of the priest. You didn't have to be a, even any of that in ministry. It was for everybody. Everybody. But this, this, this fashion of men, think about that woman. At the end of that vow, she had to shave her head just like that man Shaved his head. I couldn't find any women in the Bible record. Maybe y'all can help me. I couldn't find them that actually went up under that vow. But that doesn't mean there wasn't any. Because God made it available to everybody. Can you imagine the shame? But when they saw her, they, they said she did her best to get close to God. Come on, say amen. I'll tell you, homeless people, something. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. 
You young people that are being raised in the wholeness church, amen, don't you let the world talk you out of your conviction. Amen, get in the Bible, get before God, and get conviction for yourself. Amen, and don't let the world talk you out of it. Amen, it's a distinguishing mark. It lets the world know we're trying our best to get all of God that we can possibly get. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. It was a separation from the presence of the dead. If your mother died, your father died, oh, God, you couldn't prepare them for their burial. You remember what Jesus said? Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. The dead belong to another world. Come on, say amen. Huh? Oh, Jesus, Jesus told us, amen, the, let the dead bury their dead. You've got something more important to do. Uh, uh, it, it involved great self-sacrifice. Praise God. This consecration was under the Lord all the days of his separation. He is holy unto the Lord in verse 8. Now, I've got to talk to you here. It was not to make him odd or peculiar He wasn't trying to outdo his fellow man. This this business of trying to outdo one another has no place among wholeness people. Come on now. We're We're not higher are lower on the ladder because of what we do or don't do. Come on, say amen. I've come to this conclusion, Brother Prescott, you can help me. I I, I feel like I'm safe in saying, I, I used to think that holiness was an attainment, something we could attain. But I, 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 I think now that wholeness is a condition. Boy, y'all mighty quiet. I'm doing bad or y'all just soaking all this up one or the other. A condition of your heart. I, uh, I, uh, please don't fall out with me. I believe in sanctification as a second definite work of grace. I can take you to the place at that church of God altar. I had an experience, and I know you can't put experience above the teaching of the Bible, but something happened to me that was as real as my salvation. But I'll tell you this, it didn't stop that night. I wasn't perfected in that moment. Does that make sense? I hope I'm still in the book. I hope I'm, I'm okay. God has dealt with me about things through the years. Huh? Is it legal to preach a man that is uh, definitely progressive? Come on now. Huh? Boy, I got y'all mixed up now, don't I? Come on here. I, I, I know when it happened, something happened to me and experience took place, but that wasn't the end of it. That was a beginning, praise God. That was a starting place. Uh, and he's taken me further and further and deeper.
deeper and deeper, praise God, and it gets sweeter and sweeter and more beautiful as the days go by. Oh, lift your hands and praise the Lord. Come on and praise him, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Praise God. Uh, this separation was unto the Lord. Praise God. It, the, it, the idea of it carries over in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. Paul didn't just have that Nazarite vow in Acts 18 and Acts 21, but he was separated under the gospel. In Romans 1 and 1, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Hallelujah. He was separated for a purpose. He has consecrated himself, dedicated his life to the cause of Christ, and he had purpose. Praise God. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, I want that consecration. I want that consecration. Lift your hands and say, God, consecrate me. Help me to be consecrated. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a close. I'm not going to keep you long. I, I've got a whole lot to say here, but I feel like I ain't getting it across too good. Listen, this consecration is going to involve great self-denial. I, uh, I, I, I used to preach for a brother in Indiana, and he had a sister-in-law brother-in-law. It's going to sound funny. I've talked about them across the country. People's probably heard me talk about them. I've never said it here, I don't think. But uh, they all went to the church that the girl's father started. He planted the church there in the eastern, uh, south, southeastern Indiana, just not far from Cincinnati. And uh, they sure enough homeless people and uh, the, the, I say girls, when I met them, there's all old folks. Big family, there's all in their 70s or 80s. And one of the sisters' husband was pastoring the church. The old dad that founded the church, he's done dead and gone on to meet his reward. And uh, all of them were saved. There's about six or eight of them. They're all saved except the baby brother. And the family, all them, all them old timers, you know, the brothers and sisters, they picked certain days of the week. They all lived right there by the church. Their old daddy owned the biggest part of that ridge the church was built on. So they all lived right there. And they'd pick certain days of the week to meet together and pray specifically for their baby brother to get saved. Well, one of the sisters, uh, they called her Dude. Boy, that's kind of strange, ain't it? An old 80-year-old woman called Dude. That's what they called her. And uh, her husband's name was George. 
uh, Brother George and Sister Dude. <laughs> when the, I'd go to their house, Sister Tig and I'd, sometimes Brother George, he liked to help the missionary work. And he, you know, uh, some people's just a little different. He, he'd always want me and Lisa to come to their house and sit down with them and uh, usually eat a bowl of ice cream fellowship and he'd give me a little money for the mission work so, sometimes it'd be six eight thousand uh, six or eight hundred dollars maybe a thousand dollars and it was always an enjoyable time to go to go fellowship with brother George and sister dude and uh, one of the biggest things their family picked on sister dude about was her love of ice cream she had several different flavors at all times. And it didn't matter what time of the day or night you popped in at George and Dude's house, there was always fresh ice cream in the freezer. She eat ice cream two or three times a day sometimes. And she's 80, 80 years old. And I told my wife, said, they ought to just leave her alone. Her family give her fits about it. It became the family joke. Dude and that ice cream. She had a good comeback. It's not too biblical. But this is what she said. She said, my body craves it, and I guess my body knows what it needs. That ain't very biblical. <laughs> but that was her reply. They're meeting together praying for baby brother. He's been backslid for years. Now this is the testimony that Sister Dude testified. One time she is at the altar and at church, family gathered together. They're praying for the baby brother to get saved. And Sister Dude said, the Holy Ghost. Now this woman was sure enough Holy Ghost woman. I believe that with all my heart. She was, she's a good, godly lady. She said, the Holy Ghost said, how much do you want to see your brother saved? And she enters into a conversation with God. Lord, you know, I want to see my brother saved. I, I, how, what are you willing to do? See your brother saved. Lord, you know, I'm willing to do anything. Just whatever you talk to me about. Just whatever you tell me, Lord. And the Lord said something like this. How about that ice cream? I'm just telling you what she told me. This is her testimony. How about that ice cream? Now, God had a reason for that. You know what Sister Dude did? When that prayer meeting was over, she went to the house and throwed every jug of ice cream she had in the freezer away. And she never put another bite in her mouth. You know what happened? About six or eight months later, they called me on the telephone. Whoop, hallelujah. They're shouting, victory, there's glory. Baby brother got saved. He walked the aisle and fell down in the altar and gave his life to God. Now, here's what I want to talk to you. I really appreciate 
Mayfield butter pecan ice cream. Not one time did Sister Dude try to talk me out of eating butter pecan ice cream. Not one time did she try to convince me because the Lord told her to do it. If God told me, it ought to be everybody. Come on now. You're looking at me funny, but I have heard that in the holiness church. I've heard people stand up and testify to that. Huh? Not one time. She stayed sweet in her soul. And she never, I, listen, I never even heard her mention ice cream again. Come on, say amen to me. Dead and gone many years. Gone on to be with the Lord. Great self-denial. Now listen to me. If in the course of this meeting or any other time in your life that the Holy Ghost comes to you and he starts talking to you about something, don't hesitate. Don't second guess. Don't question him. Just lay it aside. Shuck it off. Lay it down. Come on, say amen. Just give it up. Come on, say amen to me. It doesn't matter if it's ice cream or hubba bubba chewing gum. If it's coffee or sweet tea, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. If God speaks to you, lay it aside. Come on, say amen. But stay sweet in your soul. I said stay sweet in your soul. Praise God. Love everybody. Amen. Get along with folks and follow peace with everybody. Lift your hands right here and praise the Lord. Well, I feel like I'm preaching. I hope I'm preaching right. Come on, somebody give her a good praise here. Hallelujah. Great self-denial. If mama died, if daddy died, if I'm under the vow of the Nazarite in the Old Testament, I cannot attend the funeral. I cannot come to, at their body and prepare it for the burial. I can't be near it. I can't be in the same proximity of it. Come on, say amen. If I, and so I have to choose what's more important. What's more important? My getting more of him or my tending to these earthly things? Are you going to help me while I talk to you right here? Great self-denial. I, I saw something here that I'd want to uh, close and talk to you about if the Lord would help me. Did you see how easily in verses 9 through 12 that this vow was marred? Amen. Uh, the Bible said, let's listen to what the Scripture said, beginning of verse 9. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration. Then he shall shave his head, and the day of his cleansing on the seventh day shall he shave it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtles or two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him for that he sinned by the dead. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Verse 9 said, And if any man die very suddenly by him. In verse 
Verse 11 said, For that he sinned by the dead. Y'all, y'all, y'all straighten me out on this. Here's what I'm thinking. He didn't kill the man. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because death came into that room, the vow had to stop. And he had to start his consecration cycle all over again. Shave his head. Offer two pigeons. Bring a lamb for a sin offering. Now listen to what the Bible said. The Bible said, And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation, shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering, but the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. We're not in Old Testament. Book of Numbers chapter 6. We're blood washed New Testament children of God. We're a part of the bride of Jesus Christ. If that man could mar and defile his consecration by being in the wrong place at the wrong time, how easy do you think it is for a New Testament saint to offend the Spirit of God and mar our consecration? I'm just going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with this. This is all I've got. This is what God's been dealing with me about. What about looking upon and desiring things that God forbids? We don't like to talk about it, and this probably ain't camp meeting preaching. Boy, you ain't running the backs of the chairs tonight. But uh, we're living in a time when sin is so accessible. So easy to access. Huh? Holiness preachers preached against televisions for years and years and years. And some of us still preach against them every once in a while. But that $1,000 cell phone clip to your side or that you towed around in your purse is much more diabolical and wily and crafty than the television ever could dream of being. Because you can steal away. You can hide yourself from everybody but you can't never hide yourself from God. God sees you. I wonder, I wonder how long we could stay consecrated when we listen to and give place to things that God says are unacceptable. How many times could we tap our foot driving down the road to a country song? Come on now. How many times? What about failing to be faithful in prayer? Boy, I, I, I didn't. Y'all looking at me like I'm just skinning you down. That wasn't my purpose. I want to build you up. I want to lift you up. 
It's a beautiful thing to live a consecrated life. It's not a drudgery. God's not a taskmaster. The devil's a taskmaster. Can you see me on? And when it gets hard is when we stop doing our part for God. That's when life gets hard. That's when things get difficult. Come on, say amen to me. When we get slothful and lazy towards spiritual things, amen, when we don't say amen or hallelujah, or we don't put forth an effort to praise God. I, uh, I told you about that church of God I was a part of. I'm getting long. I know I am. I'm going to quit. We built a new church. We was in a church that ran 120. We, they had purchased a, a little small church from a Baptist church. And with 120 in that building, we was bringing out chairs on Wednesday night. But I'm telling you, we was having service. I'm telling you, we was running and shouting, wallowing in the floor, what, young men walking the backs of the pews. Yeah. Woo! And uh, they decided to buy a property. They bought seven acres with a house. And they cleared off the property. And they built over a million-dollar church, 15,000 square feet under the roof uh, uh, with a Sunday school uh, wing and a, a, a fellowship hall and sanctuary in the middle. Probably seat 400. And that 120 went into a sanctuary that would seat 400 and is scattered all over. And you couldn't hear prayer requests given in from the bunch sitting over on the other side. They wouldn't, they wouldn't talk hard, hardly loud enough. You couldn't hear them. And it, it, it seemed like there was a disconnect. Now I'll never forget one Sunday morning, Lisa, uh, Lisa was home with the children one of the children was sick. And uh, I, I was coming home from service that Sunday morning. And man, I was, I was young. I was on fire. I, I miss, boy, I'm telling you, I was missing them pew walking services. Them running, shouting, dancing, surfing. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-twenties. Boy, I'm missing all that. Where, and I, I get to pray and I get to talk. Really, I was complaining. I was complaining to God because my prayer went something like this. God, what's the matter with that bunch? And I'm riding along complaining about how dry the service was and how dead everybody was. And the Lord said something like this. How many times you lift your hands in the service this morning? How many times did you say hallelujah? How many victory laps did you run around the church this morning? I went to praying for that bunch to begging God to help me. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. I'll tell you something, folks. I have been in holiness long enough to understand we have become expert at picking and pointing out everybody else's flaw, everybody else's failure. But I believe it's time for my generation to get back in the prayer closet and dedicate ourselves to God and get consecrated all over again and see what the Lord will do in this generation. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Stand with me, would you all? over this place. Come on, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. 
God, consecrate me. Help me to be dedicated. Help me to be separated unto you. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, love on him just for a few moments here. Love on him, love on him. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. We need you, Lord. We need you. I read to you and told you some of these stories about these great missionaries as a pretext for this message tonight because I'll tell you how they could do such great things for God. Brainerd, Brainerd was only 29 when he died. I, I read that, that some of them Indians wouldn't, wouldn't want to receive him in the beginning and I read at one place in particular, when he was trying to leave them, he, he felt an urgency to go on to another village that the braves was holding to his horse's bridle, weeping, begging him not to go. Tell us some more about Jesus. Hallelujah. Tell us some more about Jesus. That was a man that lived what Paul said that he would gladly spend and be spent for the gospel's sake. Giving God our all has become a foreign doctrine in this uh, charismatic, souped-up Pentecostal generation that just wants to frill and the fluff and the high time they forgot about sacrifice and doing without in order to please God. But I'll tell you, we can't have revival, but there's a high price that must be paid. If somebody will pay the price, we can have a move of God. How many wants to sign up? You want to sign up, pay that price? <laughs> 